0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for Neighborhood Church. This message was given by Larry Vold. So it's time to find our sermon outline in our bulletin there and let's head to the book of Leviticus, please. We're in the 23rd chapter today. You'll find that on page 191 in that book rack Bible. Everybody's Bible open to Leviticus 23. So we're nearing the end of our survey exposition of the book of Leviticus. An interesting book, kind of an obscure book. Not too many of us were familiar before we started and hopefully this has been an encouraging journey for you through this Old Testament book. And the whole upshot of this book is our holiness. God desires a holy people. And we've been looking at the way of holiness as a theme or a a framework of this book. And we've learned that so far, The way of holiness includes focusing on God, admitting our need, coming to worship, staying clean, trusting God's forgiveness, reflecting God's holiness, and today we come to the theme of taking time to celebrate. Now, how many enjoy celebrations here? Anybody? All right. Not everybody. That's weird. Okay, anyway. I, everybody should like celebrations. Celebrations are fantastic. And one of the ways we celebrate is we remember things in our lives. We put dates on our calendar, birthdays, special anniversaries, uh, things that we do with our spouses, vacations, and so forth. They're things that mean, if there's something that means uh, something to us, we put it on our calendar. Now, did you know that the Jewish people had a calendar, too? God had stretched out the important days and seasons for his people throughout a calendar year to make sure that they wouldn't forget the amazing things he had done for them. That's the way the Jewish calendar works. It starts actually where God uh, brought the people out of Egypt uh, from the land of slavery, going to the promised land. All started with Passover. That's the first month. That's the sacred first month of the year. And then for the next several months, God sort of stretches things out and shows them his working and brings them to remembrance through the feasts and festivals that we read here in Leviticus twenty-three and uh, uh, 2025. So that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the celebrations of God's people Israel. And uh, if you were Jewish, uh, you would know these celebrations far better than most of us who are not Jewish and have not had this a part of our our regular calendar year. Some of us come in Christian churches from churches that call or we practice a, a liturgical calendar. That's where you go through the gospel in a year. You begin with Advent, to Epiphany, Lent, Holy Week, Easter, and Pentecost. Uh, That's kind of the Christian version of what the Old Testament saints knew about in terms of the, the calendar of feasts and the calendar of celebrations of God's people. So what we want to look at today, I'm going to give you a big picture and then we're going to kind of roll through each one. We're going to look at the seven big feasts. And when I say feasts, they don't They don't all include uh, food. They're really festival, would be a better word to say this, or sacred assembly. There were seven of those in the Old Testament, but really they were captured in three uh, categories. If you were a Jewish adult male, you were commanded by God to make your way to Jerusalem. Of course, before they went to Jerusalem, before they even came to the promised land, you would do this at the tabernacle of meeting. But if you were a Jewish adult male, You would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem three times during the year. The first time would be at Passover, and then you would do it at Pentecost, and then you would do it at Tabernacles. And those are all separated by a sequence of months. You would have Passover, and the next month later you would have Pentecost, and then there would be several months, and then you'd have Tabernacles. Now those are three pilgrimage feasts, and if you know the Psalms, you know that some of the Psalms, Psalm 113 to about Psalm 118, are what they call the Psalms of Hallel. These were the Hallelujah Psalms. These were the things that people sang as they went their way, as they made their way up into Jerusalem. That final ascent coming up into Jerusalem, people would be singing praise at these festival times. But each of these festivals, or two of the three in the big categories, had celebrations underneath them. For example, Passover starts the first pilgrimage festival. The very next day starts the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then there's the Feast of first fruits or the Festival of first fruits. So under Passover, that first pilgrimage, you've got three festivals all together. And then you wait about a month and a half or so. Fifty days later, you come back for Pentecost. And that's kind of a standalone. And then you come back Several months later, you come back during uh, the, mu- the celebration of tabernacles. And under tabena- tabernacles, there was trumpets, atonement, and then the actual festival of tabernacles. So I know this might seem kind of confusing to some of us today. I see some of you, kind of your eyes are getting a little watery right now. It's not easy to understand. And let me just throw one more little complexity into this whole thing. Here, we we know our calendar is based on the, the solar uh, calendar, right? We have a Gregorian calendar. I think it was... Uh, Pope Gregory that canonized the sun to be sort of the, the calendar year. One time around the sun, and that would be one year, 365 and a quarter days. So every four years, we have this thing called leap year. In the Jewish calendar, it's not a solar calendar, it's a lunar calendar. So their months are based on the time uh, the moon goes around the earth, Right? So their their month is a little shorter. So actually the the lunar year is about 11 and a quarter days shorter than the Gregorian year. And that's why dates shift a little bit in the Jewish calendar. And let me throw one more little problem into the thing. In the Jewish calendar, there's a sacred calendar and there's a civil calendar. So if you're not messed up by now, I don't know what will mess you up. That's just the way it is. So the point we're going to talk about this morning, I'm going to give you the big picture of what these uh, festivals look like and what they stood for historically, but more than that, how they point us to Jesus and what we see for them in our own lives. Okay, so there's some real practical, cool stuff here. I'm going to try to get through it as quick as I can because really the good stuff kind of comes at the end in terms of the summary of everything we're going to look at today. So here we go. If you're taking notes, uh, first I just want to highlight that there are sacred assemblies that were important to remember and celebrate. Sacred assemblies. And we see this in chapter 23 uh, where it starts in verse 4. We'll come back to the Sabbath in a little bit here. But in verse 4, these are the Lord's appointed feasts, the sacred assemblies that you are to proclaim at at their appointed times. And then he starts in and we're going to talk about Passover first. So These are the sacred assemblies, Uh, these are the appointed feasts, and I just wanted you to see that. There are seven of them, and the number seven is really important to the Lord. You're going to see sevens all through this thing this morning if you're paying attention. And by the way, there's no way I can tell you what I really would like to tell you about all these feasts. They're fascinating, it's amazing. Uh, We've got just a very short period of time, so I would encourage you to study some of this on your own and see that there's beautiful a meaning in each of these festivals for us as Christ followers too. So let's start with Passover. Passover was important. You remember what Passover was about? When the children of Israel were getting ready to leave Egypt. Remember God sent the 10 plagues and in the last plague he told the children of Israel they were to take a lamb, a spotless lamb. They were to examine it for four days they were to make sure that there was absolutely no spot or wrinkle, nothing of blemish. It did not hobble. It didn't limp. It was a perfect specimen for sacrifice. Then they were to sacrifice that animal on the night of Passover. And then they were to go and take the blood of the, of the lamb and they were to smear it over the doorpost of their home. They were all to pass through under that doorpost and stay inside. Later that night... The death angel comes through Egypt. This is the final judgment of God on the people of Egypt. And the firstborn of every family and every animal dies that is not under the blood. This is the most beautiful symmetry and symbolism our Old Testament gives to us about the life of Jesus and his own ministry. You remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem one week before the celebration of Passover, he was examined and interrogated by the Jewish priests. They sought to see if there was anything wrong in him. And of course, they deduced that he was, you know, a blasphemer and that he was making himself out to, God, out to be God. And so he was crucified on a cross in a little place called Golgotha right outside the city gate of Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that Jesus, at the same time of his own crucifixion, We know from the ritual of Passover that the lambs that people were doing, that were sacrificing and taking the blood and putting it over the doorposts of their house as a remember, as a memorial of of what God had done in delivering them, Jesus, the son of God, was hanging on a cross outside of Jerusalem, spilling his blood for mankind. John said in John chapter 1, behold the lamb of God who takes away what? the sins of the world. What a precious picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so Passover for us, the meaning of Passover for us is our own deliverance from a life of death and destruction and judgment from God, deserved judgment from God. We are given life and mercy and grace through the blood of Jesus Christ and we are set free. It's funny as I was thinking about this message this week A couple months ago, you remember I stood a young couple up here, Mark and Mariko, and Mark had gotten into some trouble with the law, and that God used that to straighten him up spiritually, and he got his right life with the Lord. And just a few weeks actually it was a few months later, his sentence came for that issue that he was a part of, and he was being sent to to jail for a period of four to six months. You remember that? And you remember that? And he stood right here and he told his story about how God used that. and We prayed over him. And a lot of us, his wife is pregnant and, and you know, uh, tough to be gone for that period of time. But, you know, certainly willing, of course, to go through and, and pay the sentence. But it was interesting. We've been praying for an early release. Somehow that God would release him earlier than the four or six months. His sentence is six months. And I had a chance to visit him. Other guys in our men's ministry had visited him. And this week, I was kind of wondering about it, been praying about an early release. So I texted his wife, and I said, uh, any news on Mark's release? And I didn't hear back from her, which I figured she's probably at work or something. So I'll just sit down, and I'll write him a letter. So I'm writing a letter to Mark, and suddenly my phone rings, my cell phone, and it's a number I don't recognize. I pick it up. This is Larry. And he goes, hey, it's Mark. I'm going, Mark? Mark knew- he goes, "Yeah, Mark, I go, I go, "Mark, how are you calling me?" And he goes, "I'm out." And so it was amazing. It was totally amazing. And we, we laughed and we cried together a little bit. It was just one of those I was so shocked. Suddenly I felt like, you remember in the book of Acts where the church was praying for Peter, who was in jail? remember that? And then Peter shows up at the door, and the girl answers and says, "It's Peter." and they go, "It can't be Peter, he's in prison." And they were praying for his release. I suddenly felt like them. And I was telling Mark, well, this is amazing. And we caught up and he told me the story. He was here in first service this morning. Couldn't be here for this service. But next week, we're going to have him share a little bit about his experience. Because when I visited him, God had used him in an amazing way. It was like a Daniel in prison. In fact, he kind of hated to leave (laughs) because there was so much ministry going on. That was so beautiful. Of course, he wanted to be home with his wife and... And a family, and he was tears in his eyes this morning as he could worship with God's people here. He was worshiping with God's people there. God's people are everywhere, right? So anyway, so it reminded me, as that little story unfolded, about God's delivering me, God freeing me. That's a picture of Passover. God has freed us. He's freed us from the old life of sin and given us a new life in Christ. And if you've experienced that this morning, then you know that Passover is something that while we don't don't have the Seder meal, some of you maybe have had the Seder meal, sometimes we as Gentile believers, we kind of enter into that Jewishness of our faith, the background of our faith, and that's a beautiful experience, and all of that sort of weighs the meaning of what Jesus did when he came and was the perfect spotless son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The very next day after Passover began a seven-day festival called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That was an important thing. Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a reminder to the people that they had left Egypt in haste. And so here's what they were called to do for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were to make sure that there was no leaven in their house. They were to scour everything and to make sure that it was all gone as a reminder to them that they left Egypt in haste. By the way, you know the little phrase "spring cleaning." You know where that comes from? It comes from this feast, because the people scurried around and they they meticulously went through their homes to clean and make sure that there was not one speck of leaven in the house. Now, why is that important? Because leaven in, in the scripture is a picture or a reminder of sin. Leaven is a reminder that any little thing that comes into our lives that is not right with God tends to fester muster and splash into other areas of our lives. It sort of takes over in our lives. So the feast of unleavened bread was a reminder that there should be nothing in our lives that keeps us from God. It's a great reminder to us that the little leaven that spoils the whole lump, that little sin that gets into our life that we coddle, we embrace, we let kind of take over in our lives has a destructive effect. Take your Bibles quickly. Let me show you something in the New Testament that I think is fascinating. First Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5, quickly turn there, verse 7 and 8. Actually, we'll start in verse 6. Now, the reason why Leviticus is so important to us is because it carries all over the Bible into the New Testament. We've said over and over in this series, Leviticus was the foundation book of the Old Testament. You memorized this book before you memorized anything else. And just listen to what the Apostle Paul says. See if this isn't Leviticus language right here. He says to the Corinthians, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast or leaven works through the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Verse 8, therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. Now, that's Leviticus language. When Paul talks about the festival, he's talking about the festival of unleavened bread. And he's telling the Corinthian believers, he's saying, look, many of them that had come out of Judaism, come out of their their uh, Jewish background. Paul's saying, look, if you want to have the festival, make sure that there's not uh, uh, insincerity in your life. Make sure that there's a full embrace, uh, embrace of all that God has for you. And so here in, uh, back to Leviticus 23, here in verse 6, where we have the 15th day of that month, the month of Nisan, the Lord's feast of unleavened bread begins for seven days. You must eat bread made without yeast. And on the first day, hold a sacred assembly, do no regular work. And on the seventh day, do the same thing, an offering, uh, bring an offering made to the Lord by fire. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. So this was the, the assembly of unleavened bread. And of course, this is a picture in our salvation of God sanctifying us God desiring that we not let compromise into our lives. You see, God saves us. Beautiful picture in Passover. He brings us out of bondage. He gives us new life. We're made at peace with God. We're justified with God. But then God says, okay, now there needs to be um, a sanctifying process. And the first part of that process is separating yourself from sin. Making sure that there's not stuff in your life that holds you down, that c- continues to weigh you uh, down to the person you once were, but keeping you from the person that God wants you to become. Thirdly, there was another festival. It was not just the festival of Passover on love and bread. Then in verses 9 through 14 of chapter 23, there's the first fruits, first fruits. And uh, here, let me just read part of the text. The Lord said to Moses, verse nine, speak to the Israelites, say to them, when you enter the land I'm giving you, uh, going to give you and you reap its harvest, Bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain you harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. I want you to write, uh, I want you just to recognize that, put an underline in your own Bible there. Because that would mean that that's a festival that's to be celebrated on what day of the week? Sunday, the day after the Sabbath. And that's interesting to me because the, the first fruit celebration was was twofold. First of all, it was bringing your grain harvest, which would have been in the Jewish calendar. This would have been the barley harvest. This would be the same harvest that we read about in the book of Ruth, where Boaz and Naomi, uh, uh, Boaz and Ruth come together. Beautiful picture of God's sovereign provident plan. Uh, this would have been the barley harvest. This was the first harvest, and when, when people brought the first fruit of the harvest. Watch this. They were saying, we're going to trust you, God, for the rest of the harvest. We're going to bring you the first fruits. This is a picture of us trusting God for what we don't see happening in our lives right now. This is a move of consecration. This is a move of dedication. This is not like I've got it all stored up and now I can trust you, Lord. This is like, Lord, I'm giving you the first and I'm going to trust you to bring in the rest. That's an act of dedication. When we bring our tithes and our offerings, should be the same spirit. God, we're not waiting to see what we've got left over at the end of the month. God, we bring first fruits. We give off the top of what we make. We trust you for the rest. We're gonna give you worship and honor this way. That was the first part of first fruits. But the second part of first fruits, watch this. For the New Testament believers, especially, we would bring our offerings. Knowing that God was not only going to take care of the rest, but the the way God takes care of the rest is through the power of, of His miraculous deeds. And there's no greater power manifest from God than in the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul alludes to as a part of the first fruits celebration. Did you ever read that in Scripture? Take your Bible quickly, go back to the book of 1 Corinthians if you're able to do it quickly. Chapter 15, look at with me, verse 20 through 23. Listen to what Paul says here, he says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Oh my goodness, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Wow. So this first fruits festival is fulfilled in Christ through his own resurrection. And Paul even names it here as part of the first fruits celebration. And by the way, what day of the week did Christ rise from the grave? Sunday, the day after the Sabbath. Isn't it interesting how God's word telescopes revelation from what was written here all the way into the future that we see first fruits fulfilled in the life of Christ. And watch this as we take our salvation journey from justification to sanctification to consecration. God, I belong to you. I'm all yours. Then we come to this festival or this feast of, of uh, weeks. Now, in my Bible it says feast of weeks. Uh, this is a week of seven weeks. Verse 16, count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour baked with yeast as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this bread seven male lambs and so forth. Goes on, describes what you were to bring. This is what we know, know as the Feast of Pentecost, okay? My Bible says Feast of Weeks because Pentecost literally means 50. And Pentecost happened on the day after the 7th, Sunday of weeks. So 7 times 7 is 49. The next day 50. Pentecost is the 50th day after the first fruits. Okay, now I know this is a little complicated, but just follow this for a minute. The first feast celebration was Passover. It included three Passover unleavened bread first fruits. 50 days later after first fruits, you would come back and you would celebrate Pentecost. Now what is Pentecost about? What did God want to show his people during Pentecost? Uh, during, this, uh, during this feast, it was also a celebration of the harvest. It was like a harvest party. This is where we would be culminating in the wheat harvest. God's people would be gathering together to celebrate this beautiful reality of God's full abundance in their life. And sort of like what we experience in our Thanksgiving celebrations lots of food, lots of celebration the bounty of God's provision. And you remember in the New Testament when God's people were gathering for the festival of Pentecost, you remember what amazing thing happened. You remember Acts chapter 2 where God's people were gathered together, they were praying, they were waiting on the promise of the Father and God sends forth this amazing promise, the promised Holy Spirit who not only came upon them but lived within them, manifested at first with tongues Uh, everyone speaking a language so that all the pilgrims from all over the surrounding nations that had come to Jerusalem for the Pentecost were hearing the great works of God in their very own language and miracles were following. And it was an amazing expression, God pouring out in abundance the power of the Holy Spirit. So if, if Passover brought us peace, the peace of God and peace with God, then certainly Pentecost would be showing us the power of God and the reality that if we're going to live the Christian life, if we're going to live the consecrated life, we need a power that is not our own. And this is what is seen in Pentecost, a beautiful reminder to us of what God is doing in our lives. Then we come to the last segment of uh, feasts, and these were all buckled under the idea of the Feast of Tabernacles. And under the Feast of Tabernacles, we started with the Feast of Trumpets or the Festival of Trumpets. I'm a little biased to that one personally. And then to the Festival of Atonement or the Day of Atonement and then finally to Tabernacles itself. Let's walk through them quickly. Uh, In the Feast of Trumpets, what's going on here? Remember I said the Jewish calendar was a lunar month? And people didn't have calendars like they have in our day. So one of the ways God's people were alerted that a new month had begun was on the first day of every month, trumpets would sound. On this day, it was a special fanfare because this month, the seventh month in the sacred calendar, excuse me, yeah, the seventh month in the sacred calendar but the first month in the civil calendar, we celebrate Rosh Hashanah, right? That's our, The Jews celebrate that, that's the new year. This is the new year. The trumpets begin the new year. This is the sound of the new year. And on the 10th day of this month, first month of the civil year seventh month of the sacred year the month of Tishri in the Jewish calendar on that 10th day came the day of atonement so this giant trumpet fanfare was to remind everybody that the day is coming and you remember when we studied this book back in chapter 16 we went through the whole uh, the whole ritual and the whole festival of the day of atonement and what it meant. This is where everybody gets set free. This is where every sin, every deliberate sin, every hidden sin, everything we come with repentance in our hearts and we bring an offering, a sin and a guilt offering before God, we are forgiven. This is Old Testament. This is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's fulfilled it. He is our day of atonement. We don't celebrate it on the 10th day of Tishri. We celebrate it known as Good Friday, right? Because that's where Jesus paid the price. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We can see how all this is tied up in the life of Christ. And then we come finally to this fest, uh, this feast of tabernacles, and all of this is pointing God's people, trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles, bringing people to a rest in God. A rest in God. Hard to say that to be to find rest in God, to, to stop from your works, to stop from trying to earn things with God. This is very meaningful for us today because there are some of us still in the New Covenant, they're still trying to work our way into favor with God. That doesn't work. That's not biblical. That's not New Covenant. We are given access into God's family through the work of Christ, His substitutionary sacrificial work. And when He died on the cross... He was our substitute. So the, this, this festival crescendos in this feast of tabernacles where God wants his people, look at verses 33 through 44, God wants his people to live in tents for an entire week. He says, come out of your homes and live in a tent for a week. Now how many enjoy camping here, anybody? One of the traditions we had in our family is every summer when my girls were little, I would take all of my girls plus my niece, and we'd go away camping for a week. And it was a highlight of my year to take my girls away. And I think it was a highlight for my wife who stayed home during that week. (laughs) She got a week off and I got a full week with the girls and we just had a ball. And they were dirty and playing with fire and axes and all kinds of stuff. It was beautiful. (laughs) We were blowing stuff up, man. It was awesome. But you know, at the end of a week in a tent, you're kind of ready to come home. God wanted to remind his people, there's sort of this joy, this effervescent joy of like, and you remember this as a kid, setting up the little pub tent in the backyard, just getting out from your your nice bed with all your creature comforts and getting into a tent. There was something exciting and fun about it. And God's saying, I want you to remember every year that you lived in temporary dwellings During the time of your exodus, the time of leaving Egypt and going into the promised land. And that's a good reminder for us too. And by the way, God's reminding us that even with our creature comforts at home and all the stuff that we have, these are temporary dwellings because there's coming a day where we will spend eternity with the God of heaven and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, gathered together with all of God's people and it is going to be glorious and beautiful. And it's like God is saying to us, I want you to remember too, but watch this, Christ is, I think, yet to ultimately fulfill this season of, of, of festivity. And that's because we know there's coming a day in the future where the trumpet is going to sound and the dead in Christ will be ri- raised from the dead, remember, and thus we shall always be with the Lord, 1 Thessalonians four, seventeen and following. So, these are the seven feasts. I hope that you've just seen a little bit of a picture. I know we've There's no way we could have spent enough time there, but now we need to transition quickly and talk about a day, okay? Seven feasts. Now there was a day in the week that was designed to provide health and well-being for God's people. And we know that day is the what? Sabbath, yeah. Chapter 23, verse 3. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. Now remember... Jesus has fulfilled all of the law. And so in Christ, even the law of the Sabbath is fulfilled. Hebrews 4 says that when we come to believe in Christ, we enter into the rest of Christ. R-E-S-T, the rest of Christ. We find our rest in him. He is the fulfillment of the Sabbath. So that's why it's no big deal, listen, if you work, Someone once came to me, and people have done this all through my ministry. Pastor, I got a job, and I have to work on Sunday. I don't want to break the Sabbath. And I'll tell people, you're not breaking the Sabbath, because by the way, Sabbath is Saturday. It's not Sunday. (laughs) I said, furthermore, if you belong to Christ, Christ has fulfilled the Sabbath rest. However, so working on a Sunday is is not the end of the world. But... You do need to find a time in the rhythm of your week where you have Sabbath rest. Are you following me? You need to stop working. We live in a culture that loves working all the time. And now we've got all these electronic gadgets that help us to work when we're home, when we're off, we work, 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 work. We never stop. And this is a problem for people in ministry. It's a problem for people in the, in the private sector. There are people all around who have no clue what Sabbath is about. And let me just say it. This is a good time to say it. We need to learn how to rest. And we need to not forsake God's command and see the meaning behind this, not that we're trying to meticulously keep the Sabbath because Christ has fulfilled the Sabbath, but that we find a one-in-seven time period where we stop, where we rest. And by the way, I always remind people, Sunday's not my day of rest. Just saying, just saying. Why, why was... Why was Sabbath important because of its personal application. If you're taking notes, these will go really fast. Personal application, everybody needs proper rest. You know, uh, don't wake up the person next to you right now to tell them this. Maybe, maybe they just needed rest. And everyone, everyone needs community, verse 3. It's a sacred assembly. It is a place where we need to get together. So if you work on Sundays, you need to find a place meaningfully where you can worship some other time during the week. And there are other ministries that have services of worship. You need to find one. Sometimes it could be a small group. Wherever that sacred assembly is, you need to find it. Um, That's why we've toyed around with other weekend services. We used to do a Saturday night service. That was great for people that worked on Sundays. Now we have a Sunday night service. There's other ways that you can do that. There are other ministries that provide those things. The point is, we need a one-in-seven break, and we need to be with God's people Don't become one of those people that say, I'll just sit in my house and watch, you know, some Christian program. That's not a sacred assembly. Sacred assembly happens when we assemble. Got to be some kind of assembly. Everybody needs proper rest. Everybody needs community. But this thing with the Sabbath goes further than the one day a week. Go over to chapter 25 now, Leviticus 25. This whole chapter is devoted to the Sabbath, but not the day but a bigger picture Sabbath it's broken down into two sections. The first section has to do with the sabbatical year and the second section deals with the sabbatical, uh, uh, a year of jubilee, which is seven, seven sevens of Sabbaths put together. Well, let's just talk about this. In verses 1 through 7 of chapter 25, God says, you know, you need rest, but the, the land needs rest too. So I put that down in my notes to say God has concern for our ecology. Um, God is concerned about this. And I, I wish I had a little more time, not that I really need it, but you could study on your own to see how we have really done a disservice to our land by constantly using it, never giving it rest. And good farmers and good agriculturalists realize that land needs to rest too. And God said, at the end of every six years, you need to stop working the land And whatever it grows, you can use, the alien can use it, the foreigner can use it, you can live off of it, and I will so bless you in the sixth year that you'll have enough produce for the seventh, eighth years as well. God said, you trust me, I'll take care of business. Some of us, you know, we can't trust God with our tithe because we don't think if we give it to God, God's going to take care of us in the end. Listen, the Old Testament is a constant reminder to us when we do what God tells us to do, God will take care of our needs. I'm just saying that's a really important lesson that comes out of Leviticus 25. And God says at the end of this you know, six years, you need, to, you need to let it rest. Now, a little parenthetical statement here. The captivity of Israel, do you remember they went into captivity for how many years? You remember? 70 years they went into captivity. Um, they, according to 2, Chron- 2 Chronicles 36 and Jeremiah 28 and 29, a big reason why they went into captivity was because it appears from those texts that I just mentioned that the children of Israel in the promised land did not observe the Sabbath years. Nor do we have any proof that they ever observed the year of Jubilee, which was every 50 years. And there is strong belief from the text I just mentioned, 2 Chronicles 36. 18 to the end, you can look at it yourself or Jeremiah 28 and 29 where God says, I'm going to give my land rest because you didn't give it. And you're going to go into captivity for the 70 years and if you total it, it works out to be the history of God's people from the land from coming out of Egypt into the promised land to the time of their captivity would have equaled out 70 years of rest. Hmm. I wonder how many things in our lives maybe aren't going the way they should be going because we've ignored God's principles in our life. Thankfully, we're not under the law and we don't try to live up to the law, but we see that this is a picture. Remember we said a few weeks ago that God is not punishing us, but there's a law called the law of the harvest and what we reap, we sow. And maybe there's just some lessons in here for all of us that the land belongs to God. His people belong to God. By the way, verses 8 through 55 of, of Leviticus 25 God has a concern not just for our ecology but also for our economy. And here we are introduced to this idea of the jubilee, the year of jubilee. Look at verse 23 quickly. The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine and you are but aliens and my tenants, God says. (laughs) God is saying, look, at the end of 50 years, I'm going to do a massive redistribution of wealth. And anybody that owed anything and if you sold your property or whatever, guess what? At the end of 50 years, it comes back. Can you imagine what that would have been like? This was a major economic upheaval. So if you had a piece of land and you didn't live in a walled city, if you lived out in a rural area, and you want to sell that piece of land, if it was in the 45th year of the 50 years coming into Jubilee, you had to sell it with only five years of value left on it because in the 50th year, it was supposed to all go back. Now again, the sad thing is we have no proof that Israel ever practiced these years of jubilee or a year of rest. We don't know if they did. We don't have any recorded, but this was God's command. God was putting in, he was implementing a way for there to be a redistribution of wealth so that there was not just a bunch of super wealthy people that figured out a way and took advantage of all the poor people and just kept accumulating for themselves, accumulating for themselves, so we get this high tier of upper wealth and this amazingly high tier of poverty with this really thin middle class. And listen, I'm not an economist, and I'm sure there are tons of smarter people in this room that could look at our economy, even in a capitalist society, and make good suggestions about how we as God's people could be more philanthropic, philanthropic with our with our wealth, how we could share and distribute our wealth, how we could be more generous, how we could reach into places that need it so that we could be a blessing to those around us and that's hard hard work now let me just wrap up this is going to be quick what are the impactful observations that can be gleaned from the sacred assemblies and the sabbath rest of god's people can i give you four things quick number one the need for resting just write that down in every one of these assemblies there's a place for rest For Westerners, rest is optional. I think we need to see it as something mandated by God. We need schedule. We need to schedule rest. We need to make it a rhythm of our lives. It's commanded in Scripture. Number two, the importance of remembering. All of these festivals and even the Sabbath was designed for us to stop and look back. Remember where we've come from. Remember where we've come from and where we're going. Thirdly, the benefit of rejoicing. All of these festivals, including the sacred assembly of the Sabbath, includes, among other things, rejoicing. Loud instruments and voices singing to the Lord. I think sometimes we forget that one of the things we do when we gather as God's people is to truly remember where God's taken us and look forward to where God's bringing us and to do that with a spirit of true praise. We don't always feel like praising God. I'm in a season right now personally that's hard to praise God. I just, I'm going through some stuff and you're going through stuff too. You don't have to worry, just pray. God's in control. I'm just saying it's not always, it doesn't always feel right to worship. But I come in here this morning and I'm remembering what God has done and I'm thinking about what God wants to do and I'm sitting among God's people and I'm hearing beautiful music and I'm saying, God, I want to bring a sacrifice of praise and as I do, the burden that I carry is lifted. I feel the joy of the Spirit of God in my life. I'm reminded that God is sovereign and He's on the throne of, of my life and, and it's all gonna work out in the end that God is working out His plan. All things work for the good to those who love God. All these promises start flooding in and I'm just glad. I was here. Now watch this. Listen, some of us come in here and we, don't, we have not prepared, we've not thought about where we've been, good works that God has done in our lives, and we sit there, oh, we're not familiar with this song, we don't even open our mouth, we don't sing praise and then someone comes in, they're burdened with life, they're looking for what this Christianity is about and they're sitting among a bunch of dead people. And they're going, hmm, I guess I'll check this off the list, they're no different than me. They look as glum as me. Now, I'm I'm not trying to be cruel here. I'm just trying to say, I hope that we intentionally think about, am I bringing the sacrifice of praise? Even when I don't feel like praising God, I praise God. I see God as one who is worthy of my praise because there's someone that's coming into this place and they are carried down with the burden of their sin and they need to see something, hear something that says, there is hope. And if they don't see it, they don't hear it, I guess they'll just go look somewhere else. God's people, we have a beautiful opportunity every time we gather as a sacred assembly to rejoice, to rejoice. And then lastly, the work of renewing. Resting, remembering, rejoicing, renewing. And you know what I've learned in all of this? Work uh, Renewal is a lot of work. A couple of weeks ago, last Saturday, week ago Saturday, I was invited to a pastor's meeting in downtown Oakland, and it was a, a meeting about something that I just felt, ah, I'd like to go kind of hear what's going on. It was at a church in Oakland, so I went. I didn't realize that the meeting I was coming into was a kind of like a denominational meeting for the churches, many of the churches of a particular denomination that gather and meet in downtown Oakland and downtown San Francisco, and, and so I kind of felt like an outsider, I felt an outsider because I wasn't in their denomination, and I was also the only Caucasian in the group, okay? <laughs> now, I want you to know, I loved the meeting, and I felt embraced, and I embraced, and I loved, and we, we have a lot of color in our church, and I'm grateful. I wish we had more. Um, you know, I, I, feel like, I, I feel like I'm kind of at home, to be honest with you when I'm with my brothers and sisters of different colors. And I've traveled all over the world. I've been in every, not every country, but a lot of countries, every color represented. And it was such a beautiful fellowship. But watch this. And I, I didn't plan on saying this the first service, and I'm saying it because it had impact on me and, and it maybe has impact on you. I walked out of that meeting. I got into my car and I, I headed home. And the, the church was on International Boulevard. And instead of just zipping up a couple blocks and heading back down to 880, I just decided to drive down International home and oh my goodness I had not been on International Boulevard in the daytime for I don't know how long. I've visited with cross streets sometimes in the middle of the night as we walked from place to place but it's, it was totally different. Middle of the day and I thought to be honest I thought I was in a different country. It was there were tears welling up in my my eyes. It's hard to talk about right now. I got, I got home as I drove back into Castro Valley. I felt like, Lord, there's this huge mission field with brothers and sisters that are pressing and serving and loving God. They're the same heart as I have and I'm saying, God, I don't know what you want us to do, but we got to do something because there's a huge Need not 20 minutes from our church, not five minutes from our church. If you want to go down into the avenues or just down into Hayward, there's need everywhere. And God just kind of broke my heart in that moment. And, and I was reminded, I started thinking, what can we do? Oh, we can do this, do that, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking, oh, oh man, that is so much work. And the Holy Spirit, this message was written over a month ago. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, you remember? Renewal takes work. I don't know what it's going to take. I don't know what we're going to do. But I'll ask you to pray because we need to do something. Let's go to the Lord. Lord Jesus, Lord, your word is so powerful and so poignant and so relevant. And, and God, we just sit under it and we ask, Lord, that you would now through your Holy Spirit, pour great conviction into our lives about everything we've learned this morning. And thank you for this congregation. They've been so attentive in a very challenging book, Lord. Thank you for them. I pray, Lord, for anyone today that needs to step by faith into a relationship with you, that they might celebrate forever the Passover and its meaning, that they would be extricated, rescued from a land of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light in your Son, Jesus. And if that's you, my friend, if you realize today you need a relationship with the living God, just ask the Lord Jesus right now to come in your life, forgive your sins, and give you new life. He will. And for any of us who know Christ this morning, let's let these final moments as we sing praise to the Lord just be a reminder that God is faithful. Would you stand with me? everyone? standing together. Lord. Have your way in our hearts. Speak to us now, Lord. Minister to us. Let us bring the sacrifice of praise. Let us thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. No matter how hard it is, we bring the first fruits, Lord. We bring praise when it looks dismal in our lives. We bring joy when we have no joy. We bring the first fruits to you today, Lord, and we give you praise and honor and glory that your name will be glorified. thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear additional messages or you're interested in finding out more about Neighborhood Church, please visit our website at threecrosses.org. That's the number three, crosses.org.